Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's daily podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be doing the conference for today. Um, let me see. I believe we had put a Google Sheet link for people to fill out uh, their questions. So if you haven't done that already, you can do that. Um, Truthy, I think it should be in the chat, right? The link? Yes, yes, Rebecca. Okay. Um, okay, then Truthy, you can go ahead and start our first. Yeah, sure. Supra? Uh, hi, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I am currently on H-1B visa right now. And last year I married a, a U.S. citizen and I applied for I-485 advanced parole on EAD mm-hmm. and a, a family-based uh, combo card EAD plus uh, AP is uh, uh, approved for me and I received the card. And my questions are, how do I change from my current H-1B to EAD? And, uh, and can I change my job and I can go to a new employer with a family-based EAD? And uh, will, my, will my H-1B status automatically go away? And uh, my final question is, um, I want to start like a, a small business on EAD. Uh, uh, so is LLC preferred or like, uh, can I do S-Corp? These okay, are my so, questions. Okay. So in order to use your EAD, you don't need to do anything in particular. You just, you know, if you're going to continue working at your current job, technically you don't need to even present them with the EAD because they are not supposed to ask you for any additional employment verification documents unless your current one is about to expire. So if you're staying with your H-1B employer, you don't need to do anything. If you decide to move to a different employer, you do need to present them the EAD. That's all you need to do. Just show them the EAD. Um, if you want to become self-employed, um, then you know you just work using the EAD. So you can start your own business uh, when you're on an EAD. Um, for the difference between S Corp and C Corp, we would recommend speaking with the CPA. We can't um, advise on that in particular. So for tax purposes, it's probably a better idea to um, check with the CPA on that. But as far as immigration and work authorization, you can do that while you're on an EAD. Um, And then, yes, you will automatically no longer be in H-1B status once you start using your EAD. Um, You can get back into H-1B status if you want to later, but I don't see why you would really need to. Yeah. 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 Uh, One one question. I, I, I also want to see if I can do a second job uh, with a new employer while continuing to do my current job. And for that, I am intending to present my EAD as an authorization. And is that okay? Yes, that's fine. Mm-hmm. 
tell my current should I tell my current employer that hey, I'm using my EAD? And no, you so don't I don't need, need to, to tell my EAD. You do not need to tell okay. your current employer anything. Yes. Okay. Uh, one question. Uh, I read online that for S Corp, only U.S. citizens and green card holders can form an S Corp. Uh, but so that I may be like the case. And if so, then obviously you won't be able to do that until you okay. have your green card approved. Okay. Th thank you, Attorney Nishan. Sure. Hear this? Hi. Yeah. This is Hildesh. Hello. Uh, uh, so I'm an uh, international student in St. Louis, Missouri State. So uh, recently I came here uh, in January. Uh, I After I get, I get here, uh, I met with an accident with my car, which haven't got registered or insuranced. Uh, I don't have license also. So for that, I got three tickets. So uh, is there any solution for this? Okay, so if um, if you're asking for a kind of solution for the traffic violations or any personal injury um, situations, you'll need to consult uh, lawyers that specialize in those areas that are local to you because it's different from state to state. Um, so you'll need to speak with an attorney that deals either with criminal law and or personal injury in the area where you're living. As far as your immigration status, that just the fact that you were in an accident and got traffic tickets, um, that in itself shouldn't jeopardize your immigration status. If it was a more serious um, offense that you were charged with, like a misdemeanor or something um, like that, then it could potentially have an impact. Um, but yeah, if it was just sort of um, traffic citations like driving without a license and that sort of thing it should not affect your f1 immigration status at least okay uh one more question actually yeah uh i was driving without license and you know while entering the highway uh i failed to yield so i got three tickets you know like it was a major accident so i'm just asking you know i can't pay the insurance you know all that stuff is there any kind of lawyer you know you can suggest me in this area? Uh, I can't really recommend anyone off the top of my head because you said you're in the Minneapolis area. Um, we're in Houston, so we we know some attorneys in Houston, but um, sorry, we can't really recommend anyone that we know personally in in that area. Okay. Thank you, Mahima. Hi, uh, I can. My question is that we are on the GCEAD last two years. And after that, when we got our GCEAD, uh, my husband traveled to India. He came back and he switched the job. So his status is right now DAAOS. Now we have to file the extension for the EAD. So there is a one class of admission that category we have to write. So uh, we didn't travel to India. So what will be our GC status? It will be the GCEAD, our same is my husband's because we are on the dependent on my husband, me and my daughter. Right. So technically your status is AOS applicant. You're uh, authorized to be in the U.S. based on the pending I-485 adjustment of status application. On the I-765 form, though, when it asks for class of admission, I think it's in the section that asks about your most recent entry. You can just put DA, which is what should be on the uh, electronic I-94 from your most recent entry. So if you just put DA, 
Um, and in your I-765 renewal application, attach a copy of the I-485 receipt notice. UCIS will be aware of what that means. Um, but technically, yeah, your status right now is, it's not really H or L or um, anything like that. It's just AOS applicant. So for my and my, my daughter also, we have to write the DA only, not the yeah. GCA. Not the GCA. Well, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my second question is that like my, my EAD is expiring on the 4th of August. So like, and we are going back to India planning and we are coming back here on 3rd of August. So which is okay for us. We can we easily travel one day prior when EAD expiring. The main thing you need to have to travel is a valid advanced parole. So is your EAD card a combo card? Does it say on yeah. the bottom of it? You, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make sure of that because the EAD, technically EAD is not a status. It is just a work authorization card. It doesn't give you any status in the U.S. It doesn't give you uh, ability to enter the U.S. with just an EAD card on its own. If the EAD card has the I-512 serves an advanced parole printed on the bottom of it, then you can use it as an advanced parole to enter into the U.S. Um, but yeah, if you're using it to enter the U.S. August 3rd and it expires August 4th, it's cutting it kind of close. Just make sure you do not, um, your flight doesn't get canceled or delayed or something like that. If possible, I would probably recommend rescheduling your entry to the U.S. a bit earlier, like maybe just a couple days earlier, because what you don't want is to be, once it hits past August 4th, it's expired. You won't be able to use that to come in. So um, I would probably recommend coming in a few days before that. But um, yeah, as long as it's valid and it says serves as advanced parole, you can use it to enter the U.S. Yeah, because we are filing extension, like, you know, uh, within a two, three days. So we are hoping to get in two, three months. So we can get it, like, you know, within a month or so. Um, That would be best, of course, but I wouldn't count on that. Unfortunately, for the AOS-based EAD and AP applications, those are taking at least six months right now um, to for the renewal application to be approved and there's no premium processing option. So I would plan on your renewal applications still being pending by the time you um, depart the US. Actually, one thing to keep in mind is that your EAD renewal application, it can be pending even if you travel outside the US while it is in process. The same is not true for the advanced parole application. So if you depart the U.S. while the I-131 is pending, there is a possibility USCIS will deny the I-131 um, for departing the U.S. While, while it's in process. So uh, you may need to reapply for the I-131 after you get back into the U.S. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Right. Sure. Arjun Reddy. Uh, hi. Uh, my question is, uh, uh, can I start a nonprofit organization on H-1B? And, uh, and uh, that's my first question. And can I be a founder and executive of that uh, nonprofit? That is a non-paid position, voluntary position, and uh, it's not a full-time position. Okay. What would be sort of the activities or mission of this organization? Uh, we are going to you know, uh, give the seminars in the... Uh, 
underprivileged high, uh, schools elementary schools and uh, and uh, and rural uh, um, communities about the um, healthcare technologies and uh, uh, innovative technologies to the school children okay uh it is a bit of a gray area um to be on the safe side i would recommend against it actually because uh, the H-1B is, as you know, pretty restrictive. You're only allowed to work for the company that sponsored your H-1B. Um, and then we do get asked about, like, can I do unpaid work on the H-1B? Technically, no, if it is work that someone else would normally be paid for. Um, basically, the only kind of permissible activities on H-1B beyond your employment with your H-1B sponsor, it would be the types of activities that are done purely voluntarily. Like um, if you're volunteering with a local um, food bank or um, a soup kitchen or um, even, yeah, outreach to schools as part of a volunteer effort, that is fine. But once it starts looking like a position that someone else would actually be hired for and employed for, um, then even if you are not being paid, USCIS could view it as unauthorized work, um, especially if you are kind of starting, you know, filing actual paperwork for it to be like a tax exempt organization um, and that you are listed as the executive and co-founder um, or founder. Um, that is starting because that is, you know, a position for, you know, in a lot of places, nonprofit organizations hire um, executives um, to run the, the organization. So I would probably lean towards not doing that. Um, and you could still engage in those types of volunteer efforts, but I would probably not make it a formal organization, or at least if you're partnering, partnering with someone who um, has like an EAD or green card or um, is a citizen who can form the organization, you can maybe be a volunteer with the organization, but I probably wouldn't be the on the paperwork as the founder or executive. Yeah. Can my wife can be a founder? I'm I'm going to just advisory. Is that fine? Can my wife isn't can be Does founder she have and... an EAD? Uh yes. Yes, technically that should be fine because the EAD um EAD holders can be business owners. Um you just have to be really careful because um, even in situation, even if it's a non, even if it's not nonprofit, if um, you know an H four EAD holder starts a company, um, then and the other spouses, of course, on H one B, there is sometimes kind of scrutiny into that situation to see whether the H one B worker is actually doing kind of work on the side for that company, even if it's not official. So just be careful about it, but. Technically, that should be fine if the company, the organization is started under your wife's um, wife's name, and then you just volunteer with that organization. That would be fine. Okay, thank you. Shanae, can you please unmute? Okay, we can move on to the next one, Shruti. Yes, yes. Hello, Arve. Oh, okay. hi. Yeah, hi, go this ahead. Is, yeah, this is Shiny. I am in H four visa. Uh, uh -huh. Recently, um, my husband is in H one visa. He's a special education teacher. Mm -hmm. Recently, I attended in a job fair in a school district and they uh, told me that they will sponsor the H-1B visa for me. Okay. Uh, 
um, but if i if um if i work with them what documents i need for the h1b visa have you ever been in h1b status in the past no i'm before that my husband is j1 and he moved to the h1 and now i am in h4 dependent visa okay and then do you know the school district that uh made you the job offer did they mention that they are cap exempt or kind of exempt from the h1b lottery did they mention anything like that no they did not said anything they just they just told me they will sponsor the h1b visa directly okay. and is the offer with a um what type of school is it like high school middle school elementary it's a middle school okay um so one thing before you can even apply for the h1b one thing that you would need to verify with the district is whether they are whether they qualify as a cap exempt h1b employer basically if you've never been in h1b status before one of the main things that you have to go through is the h1b lottery um, because any each year there are only a certain number of new h1b visas that are issued there are more people who want those visas than there are available and so the government does this yearly lottery which we're in right now we're in the registration window for that lottery but it's closing tomorrow um so if the if the district is not cap exempt so there are some organizations employers that um by virtue of their status they don't need to put their employees through the lottery they can file the h1b a brand new h1b for someone at any time of the year and they don't need to go through the lottery process those organizations are usually higher education institutions like universities colleges or um, nonprofit research organizations uh, school districts if it's not associated closely enough with a university or college probably a school district a middle school most likely will not qualify as cap exempt which means in order for them to be able to petition for your h1b they would need to submit you through the lottery and you would need to get selected first which um there's like less than 24 hours in this year's registration window um technically there may still be enough time if you get in touch with them right away but um it may be difficult for this year so that would be the first thing i would verify with the district, whether they're cap H1B cap exempt. Um, if so, they can maybe file for H you at any maybe, time. Maybe school is the nonprofit organization, I think, so they don't go through the through the cap like okay. Yeah. So you'll need to verify with the with the district. So just by virtue of being nonprofit, that alone is not enough. It's also not enough for them to be an education institution. They have to be um, a higher education institution, which is college or university, or an organization that is closely tied with um, a college or university. So that might be possible if, for example, um, there's a college or university that has an education program that, you know, where teachers um, go through the program at the university. And if they place student teachers at this middle school, that might be a close enough connection that the middle school would be cap exempt but it depends on on the situation so i would definitely check with the district about that okay okay thank you sure Arvind? uh hi Hello. uh so my uh my question is uh, i'm on h1b and uh, this is almost i'm completing my four years without i140 
So mm -hmm. I would like to check with you whether you will do any free evaluation for EB2 NIW. If so, how I should approach further? Um, so it will kind of depend. So usually if you want to send an email with your resume and CV and your Google Scholar link, um, we can usually do a quick review based on that and um, you know evaluate kind of based on that whether you would be a good candidate for the NIW. Um, if you want to do that, you can send an email to info at RN Law Group, and then it will okay. be routed to um, either me or kind of the main other NIW attorney in our office is Juanita Deaver. So she might mm -hmm. evaluate it also and, um, and let you know. Sure, sure. I'll do that. Thank you very much. Venka? I sent a, a question in the in the uh, Google form, uh, Rebecca. So yeah, so that yeah, that committee vote. Um, so UCIS could extend it, um, but we don't know for sure whether they will. We have heard rumors um, also as a result of that vote that kind of um, UCIS may be planning to implement that. Um, but until it's announced, um, it's not official yet. But um, yeah, UCIS may be able to implement that. I mean, we'll need to see because the grace period, the 60-day grace period was a result of a regulatory change. Um, and also and also recent and also recently they did clarify in one of the meetings that, you know, it's not something that they can just go ahead and change out of the blue. Yeah, right? it would need yeah. to go through the regulatory process. So mm -hmm. it wouldn't necessarily also go into effect right away. Um, from the time USCIS announces it, unless they decide to do it as there's sort of an emergency procedure where they can implement something kind of um, earlier. But normally any regulatory change requires sort of a notice and comment period um, before it can be implemented. Um, yeah, so it it'll be kind of hard to say whether USCIS is planning to use that kind of emergency provision to yeah. Um, and, implement it earlier if it is what they're planning to do. And what about the second uh, suggestion that got deferred to the next meeting? Uh, what's your attorneys uh, at your at your firm? Uh, you know, think about that becoming a reality. You know, uh, which suggestion was that? Uh, the uh, I one EAD and AP for I one forty approved uh, oh, right. applicants yeah, uh, for with the five year five years. five mm -hmm. five plus year approval. Uh, so yeah, of course that would help a lot if they do implement it. Um, I mean they have implemented kind of similar sounding things in the past, like the compelling circumstances EAD, which when it was first um, mentioned or first announced, everyone thought it would be much more um, impactful than it ended up being, the compelling circumstances EAD, which is an EAD issue to anyone with a approved I-140. Um, in reality, it turned out that there were a bunch of conditions attached that it was um, you know, only available in kind of an emergency situation and only for a short period of time that doesn't give you status or, you know, really clear um, path forward after that short period of time. We don't know if, you know, I mean, it's just a suggestion right now. We have no idea whether it will um, actually be taken up by USCIS, how it will fare in the kind of regulatory process. Um, but of course it would be helpful. Um, it would... Yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Just just a hope because, you know, recently with this committee suggesting about the dependent kids, uh, you know, uh, using the filing date rather than the final action date and instantly in a couple of months right after the change happened, uh, you know, that's that's promising, at least. Right. Yeah. And the administration does seem um, open to, you know, this current administration seems open to suggestions like these from this committee. Um, but uh, there's still just kind of band-aids on a difficult situation. What really needs to happen is some kind of change in the interpretation of the per country cap or um, in the application of family members toward that cap, yep, which counting would the make an actual yep, difference yep. Yeah, in the yep. visa bulletin. I mean, these other kind of measures are, are helpful, but they're helpful because people are in like a difficult situation of, you know, these layoffs and the, um, the extensive green card backlog. A lot of people who are um, in H-1B status and being laid off probably have an I-140. If the backlog wasn't the way it was in the visa bulletin, they could have gotten their green card probably years ago and wouldn't need to even, wouldn't even need an 180-day grace period. Um, so yeah, uh, but if they, if they go through, they will help, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll still have to see how they do in the regulatory process. Yeah, but my question round was if this committee votes uh, on this I-140 EADAP, uh, it, it would be up to USCIS to go through the 90-day process or what, what's what's that? Is, yeah, these are what? just recommendations. These committees um, don't have any actual authority. So all they can do is make recommendations to the administration. Um, it's still up to the administration to take action on them. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. Satish? Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, great. Uh, my question is, I'm an Indian citizen with an Indian passport, and I'm also a green card holder. And due to a family situation, I had to come to India about a year back, and I'm coming back to U.S. after finding a job. Now, okay. I have an Indian passport that is expiring within the next one month. Am I still allowed to travel to U.S.? Because some of the posts say that the CBP really asked for my green card, nothing else. Is that right? Or... You still have to present your passport, but as long as it is valid at entry, it's still usable. Um, what I would be more so, did you apply for a reentry permit before yes, you? Yes, yes, I do have. Okay. I do have a reentry permit uh, approval okay. notice. Okay, good. Um, yes, so you'll need your passport. It's okay that it's expiring soon, as long as it's still valid at the time you are traveling into the U.S. Um, so that passport plus your reentry permit plus your green card. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Sure. Hey, thanks for taking my question. Um, so my girlfriend was born in India. Um, she has an approved perm and I-140 with the priority date 2019, um, mm -hmm. which she got when she worked uh, in New York. Um, now she's with the same employer, but now lives in Dallas. Um, um, and they told her that they're doing her prevailing wage and perm again. Uh, what I was wondering about is um, if we were to get married, would we be able to resurrect um, her old I-140 and file for I-485 under cross-chargeability? Okay. Uh, what is your country of birth? Not India. Sorry? Okay, not India or China. Or China. Uh, and um, what is your 
current status in the U.S.? H1. H1. Okay. Do you have the um, have the green card process started for you by a company like the I-140 or PERM? Um, yes, but it's a little bit behind compared to her. So I don't have a I-140 okay. yet. Okay. Um, so unfortunately, so cross-chargeability, if you were to get married, um, cross-chargeability could go into effect. Basically, your country of birth would be applied to her, but only when you get to the stage of the I-485 application. Um, prior to that I-485, which is the third and kind of final step of the green card process, the first two steps are PERM, I-140, then I-485. Cross-chargeability really only comes into effect at the I-485 stage. Um, so... So yeah, she has, so she has the approved I-140, right? When she was in New York, um, obviously her priority date based in India is not current. So she hasn't filed the I-1, um, 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 the I-485. Now, if she was get to get married to me, would she be able to say, okay, husband is rest of the world, priority date is 2019. So let's file 485 or is that not how it works? So it will still require an I-485J supplement from her employer. So even, um, you're right, that if you were to get married, um, if her I-140 that was based on the New York perm was still supported by her employer, then you could file the I-485 immediately, um, both of you, uh, because the Indian kind of visa bulletin would no longer apply to her. It depends on the company still being willing to support the I-140 approval that was based on the New York um, PERM application. So, so, so super high level, what does it mean to the company supporting it? Like what, if she reaches out to them, like what does she ask and like what, what do potential answers look like? Basically, the company would need to sign a J supplement, which is a form that tells the government that we are still offering this employee um, this position in New York, the way it was described in the PERM application that was filed uh, based on the New York location, that basically this is her job title, this is her salary, this is a brief description of her duties, and her work location will be New York. If the company is not willing to state that in the J supplement um, and sign it and send it to the government, then unfortunately she probably will need to wait for them to go through the whole PERM process again in Dallas. Okay. okay. So I guess next step, I guess next steps for her is to reach out to employer and be like, hey, could you guys um, sign this J supplement for me? Yes or no. And if they say no, then I guess it's, it cannot be done. And if they say yes, then we're probably good to go for the 485. Right. Yeah. If they agree, basically they need to be willing to offer her the position in writing in New York. It doesn't necessarily mean she has to move back to New York. She doesn't have to be there right now, um, but the company needs to be willing to offer her, basically say, we still have this position in, in New York open for her. Um, if the company is already in the process of redoing the prevailing wage and perm in Dallas, my instinct is that most likely they will not be willing to sign the J supplement, unfortunately, um, because they would have already spoken to their attorney about it is my guess. And the, the prevailing wage and perm as you know, are a long, lengthy, costly process. I don't think the company would be undergoing the Dallas perm process again, if they, you know, if they could avoid it. Um, 
So my instinct is that they probably won't be willing to sign that J supplement, but she can definitely still reach out and ask. Okay, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Sure. Um, okay, I can take um, Naveen's question as the last one. Naveen? Uh, hey, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, uh, I'm calling uh, on behalf of my cousin who is also in the call with us. So the issue is um, when, he end, when he came here for master's back in November 2021, he was given an I-20 uh, for until May 31st. Uh, last summer, when he went to India, he got a travel I-20 and that got changed. And in that I-20, uh, they put it as March 1st. Uh, we realized it a couple of days ago and it's expired now and the service is inactive as well. So okay. we spoke to DSO and uh, he said that they're going to issue a new I-20 and then we have to go through the I-539 process for reinstatement. Okay. So uh, uh, does it make sense? Uh, like what's the, I, I want to get your viewpoint on this. Yeah, that is probably what he'll need to do unless the, unless the DSO is able to do a data fix in the service system to basically um, get him back in the service system. But I know that that data fix is, Difficult. Um, do you know if the DSO already tried that? Uh, I'm not sure, but I'll find out. Okay. Yeah. So if it was purely an error by the DSO by putting the wrong end date on I-20, they are supposed to be able to request a data fix where they can basically go in. And even though he's considered kicked out of service right now, the data fix would basically what? reinstate him. Sorry. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, right now he's uh, taking classes and uh, the end of May is supposed to be when he's supposed to graduate. Mm -hmm. So my follow-up question, if we go through the 539 route, it will take a few couple of months, right, to get back the answer. Yeah. And uh, I'm guessing it if he doesn't, if we don't hear back the answer before July when he's, and then should we, uh, once he gets the 539 receipt number, he can still stay here, right? Is that? Yes, but uh, it is very tricky since he is scheduled to graduate and I assume he was going to apply for OPT. Yes. Yeah. I don't know that the DSO will be able to issue him an I-20 for post-completion OPT if he is not reinstated back in the service system yet. And you're right, the I-539 change of like reinstatement process could take at least three months, potentially longer. Mm -hmm. There is supposed to be a premium processing option for I-539 F1 applications that's supposed to be rolled out by USCIS at some point this year. It's not yet available. They've only announced the OPT premium processing. Um, okay. But you're right. It'll take a few months. I am not sure how that timing will work out It because it could end up filing the I-539 will probably at least allow him to stay in the U.S. in a period of authorized stay, but he may miss the window for applying for OPT, um, which right. is kind of the main goal. So I would definitely have him talk to his DSO again and see if there's any way they can do a data fix that would avoid having to go through the I-539 process. I don't know if the DSO already tried that. Um, I know the I mean, we can't get into the service. It's only accessible by DSOs, but from what we've heard from DSOs, the data fix is kind of unpredictable. It's not always doable, but I think the DSO should 
do their best to try to do that since it was their mistake. It sounds like that the I-20 was cut off. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, sorry. Uh, we'll need to end the conference here for today. Uh, the next one will be tomorrow at 3.30 Central Time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.